Today's sermon passage is Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But, as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which... Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, 
when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Thank you, Ashlyn. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, Our prayer this morning is a simple one. Would you teach us to trust you? Would you teach us to rely on you? Would, we, would you cause us to long for you and your blessing and your grace and your mercy more than all else. Lord, your word tells us that this is what every single one of us need. So I pray over this congregation that you would make us want trust you. Make us want to be satisfied in you. Cause us to not be satisfied in anything less than you. 
to do this, Father. For our good. For our joy. For our hope. For our today and for our tomorrow. Would you do this, Father? We pray in the name of Jesus, the King. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Uh, Here at Redeemer, we're working our way through the book of Hebrews, and and in particular, um, we're slowing down in Hebrews 11. Um, I had visions of grandeur that we were going to finish this in two weeks. Um, Now the number rests somewhere between three and seven to be determined. Um, And this is just another piece of the study. Um, So scripture readers here at Redeemer, start practicing, because we're going to read the whole thing every week. Because I think it, it's a unit, it's a thought, it's intended to be delivered as a whole. And so, Ashlyn, thank you. Um, Dan, do you mean to recruit somebody now for next week? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Here's what we're seeing in Hebrews 11. It is the desire of God for the people of God to be shaped by faith in God. It's the desire of God for the people of God to be shaped by faith in God. And often... When we in the church talk about faith, we think of entering Christianity. uh, Repenting of our sin, believing in the gospel of Jesus for our salvation, and, and kind of entering in. And that would be true. That's called salvation by faith. But that is not really what chapter 11 of Hebrews is talking about. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is talking about the life of those who have already entered the kingdom of God, the family of God, the church of God by faith. So let me just pause and be a good revivalistic guy for a minute here. If you have never come to know Jesus by faith, it would be our great desire to help you do that. Because apart from knowing Christ by faith, we are separated from God today and forevermore. But what this passage is writing to is those who have entered the kingdom, those who are the children of God, those who have, to put it in southern evangelical vernacular, been saved by faith. And do you know what the passage says? It would be God's desire that the totality of your life, always and everywhere, would be shaped by trust in Him. And do you know what psychology and therapy and sociology and analysis of the human condition tells us? That we're hardwired to trust ourselves and to trust other people to guide us and navigate us and make us whole. And this passage would say, look to the Lord for everything. That's the type of faith that God's Son Jesus came to purchase for us and give to us. So the people of God are shaped by faith in God always and everywhere. That's, that's the main thrust of Hebrews chapter 11. And so our sermon today is called The Life of Faith because I want us to wrestle with what does it look like to live by faith? And I would argue, and I am arguing, that this whole chapter of the Scripture is given to us to help us see that. And so if you're a note taker, the first point this morning is always and everywhere. 
always and everywhere. God desires that his people would trust him, lean into him, believe in him, long for him, seek him, cry out to him always and everywhere and in everything. Look at verse 6. And without faith, this was last week's verse, but we're kind of revisiting it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now here's what that passage tells us. That it is possible to please God if we are in Christ. When we walk by faith, walk by dependence, walk by trust, walk by falling on to Him to carry us forward, the Scripture says that pleases God. And so Christian, I want you to hear and to believe and to receive this morning that in Christ it is possible for our lives to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So often we talk about ourselves like dirty worms who deserve to be squished in the mud. And before Christ that was true. But what the Scripture says is that in Christ we're a new creation. In Christ the dead is gone and there's new life. In Christ this wretched sinner can please the Lord by faith. And if that's true, then what Jesus wants is for me to trust Him always and everywhere. We're great at... Like, this is not in my notes. This was not in the first service. So this might just be a tangent that I never come back from, Okay? But I'm going to do it anyway. Is that all right? All in favor, say aye. Good, good, good. In the spirit. Okay, okay. I believe this is why the church is really good at helping people with explicitly sinful problems, like, say, an addiction to pornography. Because you see it as sin, you repent of it, you ask Jesus' blood to cover that sin, you ask the Holy Spirit to help you, wash, rinse, repeat. Now, it doesn't make it easy, but we're good at talking about that, right? I think this is why the church is really bad at helping people in broken relationships, people who hate their jobs, people who struggle in life, people who don't like their teacher at school, people who, uh, just, just the hardness of life, like we're not good at helping people because like you can't repent of breathing. I don't think you should. But I can trust Jesus in those moments too. And He wants us to trust Him there. And the essence of this passage is we're being invited into a relational dependence upon Jesus in everything. And that's a good news because chapter 6, I mean, chapter 11, verse 6 says that not only does God exist, but He rewards those who seek Him. He's eager to pour His blessing out on those who seek Him. Now, I know I'm re-preaching last week's sermon, but half of you weren't here, and half of you forgot, and half the other half need to be reminded. Do we believe... That's a lot of halves. That's right, it's bad math. 
But do we believe that the Lord wants us to trust Him in that kind of way, and that's a good thing? That's the invitation of this passage. And I want you to believe that. So I'm going to make an analogy, and I hope it's helpful. But I hope it really gets to the heart of what this invitation is in this passage. So let's think about farmers for a minute. Can we do that? Farmers? What's the difference between an atheist farmer and a Christian farmer? Besides the adjective that comes before farmer, what's what's the difference? And most of your minds right now are going to, to questions of morality, questions of economics, questions of generosity. And I would say they're those are, those are all outflow. But the difference between a pagan atheist farmer and a Christian farmer at its core is in whom do we trust the outcome of our labors? So think about it. An atheist farmer tills the ground just like a Christian farmer. An atheist farmer sows seed from the same co-op as a Christian farmer. An atheist farmer fills the the hole up just like a Christian farmer. An atheist farmer either waters or irrigates or watches the rain fall on the crop just like a Christian farmer. Fertilize, fertilize. Pull weeds, pull weeds. Get away pests, get away pests. Hope for a harvest, Hope for a harvest. Harvest, harvest. Sitting in the field watching, it looks almost identical. We don't, as Christians, have some magic Jesus pixie dust that we get to throw in the dirt to make the plants grow. So what's the difference between an atheist farmer and a Christian farmer? Everything. To whom we look for help to whom we cry out for blessing, to whom we entrust the outcome. That's the difference. A Christian farmer is not hoping that science will be science, that results will be results, crossing their fingers saying it'll all work out in the end. A Christian farmer says, I have great hope in Jesus who created the world by His Word. That, by the way, is chapter 11, verse 3. And I have hope that He will walk with me and provide for me and care for me and nurture me and in some way see me through to the end. I have faith in Jesus and that shapes everything about my life. But it's not so much what we do on the surface, it's how we trust the Lord. That's the invitation. Husbands, wives, moms, dads, single folks, workers, stay-at-home folks, hurting people, joyful people, broken people, gradually being healed people, All of us have the invitation to lean in to the loving, faithful provision of the Lord and let that be our shaping commitment in everything, always and everywhere. That's the invitation of this passage. Okay, so Jamie, help me get started. Help me get started. What does it look like to live by faith in this way? 
Second point this morning. Leaning in the right direction. Leaning in the right direction. I believe this life of faith is an orientation to the Lord's goodness, mercy, mercy, kindness, and benevolence toward His people where I'm leaning toward Him in everything. I've often said here at Redeemer that our approach to church planting is not doing everything right because if that were the case, you would all chuckle at how bad we've messed up. But it's just been to fall a little closer to the Lord every time we fail. This life of faith is leaning in the right direction. Now here is what makes the life of faith so difficult for us. Chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see that, that distinction? Hoped for and not seen. Do you know what living in this world as a child of God is? It's living for what He's promised. A better place, a better home, a better eternity without seeing how we're going to get there. The life of faith is living in the gray area between where we are and where we know God is taking us. And for every single one of us, that area is uncertain, it's gray, and we don't exactly know how it's all going to play out. Every one of these people named in this passage are examples of people who received a promise from God, I'm taking you here, and God did not fill in any of the gaps. He just said, go. And faith was, I've heard, I believe, let's go. So what we're being invited to, get this, modern Americans, is not a life of certainty. It's not a life of Goodness always, it's not a life of getting what we want, when we want, how we want it. It's a life of leaning into Jesus in moments that are painful, questionable, hard, and uncertain. That is what this world is. And so for many of us, a life of faith is a challenge because we're still white-knuckling and squeezing to the idea that we can have an absolutely certain tomorrow that looks exactly the way we wrote it out, exactly the way that would make us the happiest to fit within our 10-year plan. And I believe the first step of faith is just to let go of all of that. Say, the Lord has spoken, and the Lord has called me, and I'm going to walk with Him through this gray, painful, hurtful world, leaning into Him every step of the way. And I would actually argue that what this passage tells you is that's the freeing way to live, that's the joyful way to live, that's the satisfying way to live, and that's the way that honors the Lord, and that's the way that He's going to bless 
And yet it cuts against everything that we're hardwired to want. That's the invitation. So let's look. I could do like 10 of these, but for the sake of time, let's look at one of them. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham... Oh, by the way, before we look at this, all these names in here, maybe if you're, not, if you're not familiar, really comfortable with the Bible, all the names in here are people in the Old Testament, kind of going back to Genesis, that's the first book of the Bible, and working forward, who God spoke to, God made a promise to, God called, and they, they walked by faith. That, that's who these people are. And so if you're familiar with, with the Old Testament, you would recognize it. If not, you can actually go look every one of these names up, and there's a whole truckload of story that goes with every one of them that would be good for your soul. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So let's, let's, let's walk this story here. There's a man named Abraham. He's wealthy. He has all kinds of material, earthly blessings. Wife, animals, land, status, servants, all of it. God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave it all behind. I want you to go to the place I'm going to send you, and of you I'm going to make a great nation. Now, those of you that are that are, are married, let's, let's, let's put on our, our, our husband-wife hats here for a minute, okay? Let's just stereotype ourselves. It'll, it'll make for a fun, fun moment here. But now imagine you go home tomorrow, men. Hey, honey, God talked to me. He said we should leave everything. Oh, really? Where are we going? To a place? What place? The one he's going to show us? Why? Because we're going to be a great people? You do know we don't have kids, right? Yeah, but we're going to go? You do know you're old, right? Yeah, but we're going to go? You do know I'm old, right? Yeah? But we're going to go? Abraham was not able to act on the basis of rationality because God did not give him all the answers. So Abraham and Sarah acted by faith. They said, we've heard God's promise and we believe it. So we're going to go. You see, Abraham and Sarah, they had a certain word. I'm going to make you a great nation. They had a certain command. You need to go. And they had a whole bunch of uncertainty, a whole bunch of doubt, a whole bunch of frustration. And they went because they trusted God. And I'm just telling you. If you would be honest and put down the blinders. Living in this fallen world as the people of Jesus looks a whole lot more like that story than the ones we do podcasts about. 
where God connects all the dots and shows us all the ways, and we have absolute certainty how we're going to get from here to here, and there's no way we could possibly fail. So of course we would go, that's living by rationality. Let me just admit, when I can, that's good. But God would say, in all things, live by faith. So faith is leaning into God and God's word and God's promises and God's direction and saying, I will trust the Lord. Okay, pastor, how can I learn to do that? I have four things for you and then we'll conclude for today. If you want to lean into the Lord and lean in to trusting Him, and lean in to walking with Him, and lean in to living by faith. Number one, run to God's Word. God's spoken in His Word. His promises are in His Word. His eternal promises to His children are in His Word. And we walk by faith through believing first the promises that God has given. One of the most joyful promises to me in all the scriptures, actually just one page over, Hebrews 13, verse 6, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a promise. That's not a feeling. That's not an impulse. That's not a cross my fingers and hope. That is, God has said that if you're my child, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you want to lean into the Lord and you want to lean into living by faith, you run first to His Word. Because if He's spoken it, it's true, it will be, and you can bank your eternity on it. Second, we want to live by faith, we run and we lean into the character of God. Well, Pastor, what's the difference between the Word of God and the character of God? Well, in one sense, nothing. But in another sense, the Word of God speaks absolutely. But what about all those places where the Word of God hasn't spoken? Well, the Bible shows us God's benevolent, loving heart toward His children. The Bible shows us God's Holiness. The Bible shows us God's love of justice. The Bible shows us God's mercy and His grace and His peace. That's His, that's his character. And even in those places where the Scripture hasn't spoken clearly, we can lean into the character of God. So I'll give you an example. Hypothetically, I want to be really clear. I'm not going anywhere. I'm dying in this pulpit, okay? But hypothetically, I have a decision to make tomorrow morning. Should I take a new job or should I keep the job that I have. If you think you found a passage of Scripture that gives you the answer to that, I would encourage you to reread the passage. Okay? This is one of those places where the Bible hasn't spoken clearly. But I can lean into what it said, God will never leave me nor forsake me, and I can also lean into the character of God. God loves His children. God cares for His children. God's promised to provide for His children. God, like, like I can lean into His character as I'm facing gray, that's how I walk by faith. So take up your Bible and find promises and take up your Bible and find the character of God and lean in to both of them. Third, if we want to walk by faith, learn the art of humble asking. Learn the art of humble asking. 
I'm not a woman, and I was not at the women's gathering last night. I just want to be really clear about that. But I heard excellent reports about it, so thank you to all of you who were there and who did contribute. But I, but I heard like one statement that really resounded with the person I was talking to what was this statement of, well, maybe we're discontented because we've never slowed down and asked God to give us the things that we're discontented about not having. And so I think we've gotten ourselves in this evangelical dilemma here. Like, like we know of the heretics who say, just name it and claim it. If you want it, name it and God has to give it to you. That is not in the Bible. And if you believe that, let's talk afterward, okay? But we're so afraid of being that that we just don't ask. We're afraid to ask because what if it's not God's will? God loves His children. 11.6 says He rewards those who seek Him. It's part of His character. It's part of His nature. It's okay to humbly ask the Lord to bless you and to keep you and to watch over you and to deliver you. And if you hate your job and you want a new one, it's okay as long as you can put the caveat, not my will, but your will be done, to humbly ask. Lord, would you provide? I'm trying to figure out if I should confess this or not. Y'all want me to confess? Okay. Yesterday I did something I swore I would never do. I prayed about a youth baseball game. See, you're laughing at me. But I've poured hours of my life into these kids. And we played a tournament last weekend and they were terrible. And they were dejected. And they were like, why do we practice so much? And I was just like, Lord, you know, like you're the Lord if we lose by a million runs today. And you're the Lord if we win the whole thing. And like, I'm not going to doubt you, but could you just let these kids taste success? Could you just let them have some joy? Like you don't owe us that, but like, I'm going to ask. And see, I feel weird saying this right now, which betrays the problem that we have about humbly asking the Lord. Right? At least one person agrees with me. So God doesn't owe those kids anything. He doesn't owe me anything. But He could choose to pour His blessing out, and, and I wanted Him to. So I humbly asked. Yes, And we got two more games today, so let's ask again. But, but. but that's not the point. The point is we can ask. God loves His children. We can ask. I just wish we would learn to ask. So, so I believe part of learning to live by faith is to learn that, that middle road, that art of humble requesting. Humble requesting. With the caveat, not my will but yours, but humble requesting. So what is it? What's that one thing that you've never brought yourself to just say, Lord, would you please do this? Do it right now. Don't listen to the next five minutes of what I'm going to say. Do it right now. Fourth, if we want to learn to live by faith, I would, I would exhort you to learn to notice in your own life the difference between self-reliance and faith. I would exhort you to learn to, to recognize the difference between self-reliance and faith. Because those are antonyms. 
I lean into me and my awesomeness or I lean into the Lord. They are not one and the same. And if you can learn that impulse towards self-reliance, you can fight against it. So in my own life, most drawings toward depression and anxiety trigger first self-reliance. I can fix this. Someone else can fix this. I need some help. But faith would be, Lord, I feel this. Would you enter in? Here's the other place that I see self-reliance welling up in me all the time. My office is right behind that yellow banner in the musty, dirty green room, okay? And I sit at the desk, and you know what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? is problems pop up. This person said this. This person doesn't want that. This situation didn't work out. This bill didn't get paid. They pop up, right? You know what my first impulse is? My blood pressure goes up, my adrenaline kicks in, and I'm going to fix it. What's that? The self-reliance. The self-reliance. Now look, i got to do the work. i got to enter into the problem. i got to make the hard phone call. i got to have the conversation. But you can do that by faith. Now one of my friends tells me that I preach like everybody struggles in the same ways that I do. So I want to be really careful here. Maybe your self-reliance doesn't look like those two instances. But I would challenge you, study your own soul, talk to a close friend, and figure out where that impulse toward self-reliance is and where that impulse toward faith is. Because our first impulse can't go in both directions at the same time. And Hebrews 11 is an invitation to have our first impulse be one of faith. Yesterday on my way to Murfreesboro, I was listening to the great theologian Chris Stapleton. (laughs) If you don't know who that is, I'd encourage you to not look it up so we can still be friends. But I was thinking about this sermon, and this was the line. You only need a roof when it's raining. You only need a fire when it's cold. You only need a drink when you have nothing left to hold. I thought to myself, this is how we think about God. You only need a God when life stinks. Or you're caught, or you're guilty, or you're ashamed. And that's wrong. This pastor says he's with us always. He loves us always. He cares for us always. And we need him always. So let's lean into him always. Let's not wait on bad stuff to happen. Let's be found learning to live by faith now and always. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you're like, where have I come? Here's the invitation. The invitation is to a God who sent his son to redeem a people and to love them so much that they would walk with him and he would care for them always and forever. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. So if you're here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus, please talk to us after the service. We would love to help you meet Christ. And here in just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the bread. We're going to take the cup. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd ask you to let that bread and cup pass, not so much because we want to exclude you, that's really not our motive at all, but because we don't want you to accept a piece of bread and a cup of juice. We want you to know the Savior. These are mere signs. And for those of us who who know Christ and His salvation, we will take this bread and we will take this cup as a declaration of our hope in Him. And so I'd invite you, if you're a Christian, if you profess faith in Jesus, to take this bread and take this cup with us. So these guys are going to sing. These guys are going to pass it out. When I come back in just a few minutes, we'll take them together.